Hi, and welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at the Strad. As a cellist, I may be a little biased here, but there is nothing like the sound of multiple cellists coming together to play as part of a cello choir. Look at the 12 cellists of the Berlin Film. Well, recently on the Strad website, we featured an arrangement of the Dvorak Cello Concerto for Cello Quintet. The cello's got such versatility of timbres, and cello choir is the best environment in which to showcase them all. Someone who illustrates the power of cello choir is Amit Pellad. He's on the faculty at the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, as well as artistic director of Mount Vernon Virtuosi and Cello Gang. He's recently released his brand new album, Solace et Una, which, as well as Bach's Cello Suites No. 4 and 5, features a beautiful arrangement of the Andante from Brahms' Symphony No. 3 for the Cello Gang. And you're listening to it right now. Isn't it lush? We chatted about the educational benefits of playing in an ensemble of others who all play the same instrument as you, as well as the professionalism and responsibilities Amit hopes to instill in his students from playing together. Amit, welcome to the Strad Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Congratulations, first of all, on the release of your new album, Solus and Una, and it features the Bach Cello Suites 4 and 5, but not only that, the Andante from Brahms Symphony No. 3 for cello choir. And this really piqued my interest personally because I'm a cellist. I love cello choir, but I don't usually get much of an opportunity to perform in one. And I think it's got a very unique and special timbre and sound to it. So, you know, first of all, tell us a little bit about how the recording came about. Where did you get the idea to record that particular movement of Brahms? So first of all, it's wonderful to be on this podcast, a great honor and pleasure, and especially to talk to a fellow cellist so we can share our love for the instrument. This CD, Solus et Una, means alone and together. And I picked that title because it really reflects on what I've been through during the pandemic. I was alone as a cellist in the beginning, like many of us, and found a way to get together with my students face-to-face in person. It started with the journey of concluding the Bach Suite cycle, which I started on the Casals cello a few years ago. And while recording four and five, I found a way to sort of um, mirror the NBA bubble that was going at that time. And a big fan of basketball as I am, I thought, why shouldn't we do a cello bubble (laughs) where we can test ourselves and be completely safe and free to behave pre-pandemic time (laughs) and found a terrific, wonderful, special place in Bozeman, Montana, in the middle of nowhere, in the mountains, where they gave us um, a property that is used for actually um, veterans of the U.S. Army to come and heal after combat. And the guy who runs it, who used to be a helicopter pilot, an extremely nice person, um, loves music and loves cello and was really touched by the idea of integrating our art into their place. So we tested ourselves. I brought my student there, eight of them out of the 16 I have here at Peabody. And for 10 days, we acted in a cello bubble. We walked freely, we played freely, we had lessons, and we had what I call the cello gang, an ensemble sort of gathering every evening where we played music for cello 
and we did Bach chorales singing and playing. And we asked two composers to write an arrangement of one of the Brahms symphony and the other one of the Amanda Gorman historical speech, which we orchestrated for eight cellos and Amanda Gorman's voice. Um, a truly touching piece. And on those two pieces, we worked a lot. I wanted to find two new pieces that we can sort of um, uh, commemorate and remember this cello bubble. And the Brahms symphony as a side gig, I'm also a conductor and I just love those symphonies. When we got the arrangement, we played, I remember the first rehearsal and the sound, the lush sound of eight cellos playing this, it was just so magnificent. Uh, I'll never forget that. The idea was really to record it for ourselves as sort of a, a memory not to end it ended up on a CD, but it was such an amazing process of growing musically with it and cellistically. Had many changes implanted into the uh, arrangement, which we did on the spot. And then we came up with this recording. And when I came home from it, back to isolation, <laughs> I realized that this is really who I am. I'm a cellist that plays a lot of solo, but also is completely integrated with what I do here at Peabody as a teacher. And the cello gang, which is part of the Mount Vernon Virtuosi, which is my chamber orchestra, is a big part of the education that I, my students, I strongly believe that we as a high education institution, we lack the stage where the students are ready to go out to the world professionally. And we just kick in the butt, sorry to say, and tell them, okay, go find yourself. And they have to make money on the first day and they don't really know how to and how to behave as performers. So I established Mount Vernon Virtuosi as a nonprofit where we give concerts and recording free of charge to our community. But at the same time, based on donations, we pay well our musicians so they can still practice and grow and be nurtured until they find their first job. And that's really what it is. So it's kind of like a scheme to bridge the gap between studies and professional life. It's interesting that you mentioned NBA earlier and you mentioned basketball, because I think I read somewhere that you started off as a basketball player. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, I'm a rated basketball player. Yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. So obviously basketball team sport and I think of this team spirit that you need to harness when you're playing in a cello ensemble. Tell me a little bit about the benefits that the students get from playing in cello ensemble compared to, say, orchestra. First of all, yes, I'm a frustrated basketball player. and There's a lot, a lot of connection between being an athlete and being a musician. In fact, I call my students know my title for us is musical athlete, because uh, not only that we have to prepare ourselves physically like athletes do, but the communication skills that we have to perform is very similar and the high adrenaline that they have and we have. The only difference is that they make much more money and their career is much shorter. But the benefits to your question are that you play with people that are playing your same instrument and you're equal to them. And the equality between teacher and students is an extremely important stage where a student, even being a freshman, being 18 years old, feeling that their professor, the person that they look up to, becomes equal to them on stage is extremely important. I mean, for them to realize that I can have a blackout, I can make a wrong note, it's okay. Yeah, you're only human, right? <laughs> exactly, but they don't know that before. They think you're a Superman because <laughs> recordings and videos and they, they see you play all over the world. But when you travel with them, when you and them get tired, when you and them get prepared and then 
something happens on stage and the initiation of a phrase, I call it, I tell them, you know, when the seven cello, seven voice has the melody, you decide what to do. And you have to make me follow you. Yes, me, I'm your teacher and I'm gonna look in your eyes and I'm gonna open my ears and follow you. And that transition is huge for them. We just had a cello gang concert last weekend. And for the first time, I usually have half of them are former students and half are current students. And one of the current students did it for the first time. And she had a lesson yesterday and I asked her, how was the experience? And she said, you know, I'm so used to playing a string quartet here in school. And I'm sorry, it's not the same experience. It's not professional and they're not ready and not prepared. And here it was so fast. And what amazed me was how spontaneous you dare to be on stage. So I, I couldn't write down what to do in the rehearsal because it was the opposite the next rehearsal. And I said, well, welcome, welcome to the real world. That's so true, isn't it? Because you can't write down absolutely everything uh, in a rehearsal. But also having one's antenna up, right, so that you're really receptive as to what other people are doing. You mentioned before, you know, with Brahms and having to sort of do everything on the spot. How do you sort of organize these rehearsals and recordings so that everyone's voice is, is heard, yet also pertaining to a structure in rehearsal so it doesn't completely fall apart into anarchy? Yeah, so it's a good question because they're still my students and I still see it as an educational process. So I wouldn't say it's complete democracy because I do run the show sort of, but I do play it with them, you know, as one of the voices. So what we do is I want them to witness what it means to be professional in a place where you have a few days and you have to come up with the best results. So we hired a professional engineer, of course, for that, who was there with us. But the whole process was that when we rehearse, we work on every single note. And then at the end of the rehearsal, we would do a run through or something similar to it. I would record it on my iPhone which I always tell them to do. I would take it to my room and the next day on every single note, there would be a comment of what to do and how to do and what to change in the score, what to change in your fingering, in your points. You have to be so detailed in what you do. And then the result jumps and jumps. And now when they see the CD, and this is the second CD already with the cello gang, they're shocked that, wait, but we play in school and it's not that good. So how come we're so much better? Well, you're just approaching it in a professional way. That's it. And that's what I want them to understand, that when they make a tape for audition, when they make the recital, of course, they will approach it the same way. For instance, when we do a studio performance once a week, we always give comment to each other. But it's even more important for me that the person who is performing will be the first one to give comments to themselves because when we go to the dressing room after a concert of course we smile we want to have a drink and party and so on but when we get to the hotel we start thinking back what happened and how do we make it better for the next day we have to give ourselves a lesson i find mount vernon virtuosi and especially the cello gang because we're all cellists together such a valuable experience for them also for me i have to say because i can really see how they transform from really good students very accurate in tune and all of that into performers that create magic on the spot. Another thing that I do with the cello gang is that they all have to speak in our concerts. So each one has to introduce a piece, introduce themselves to the public. And you can see from their first projects to the last one, how they transform in their public speaking, just in their behavior on stage, which is something you cannot teach in a classroom. You just can't. 
So you're teaching them so many different skills, you know, for example, being receptive, the spontaneity, being able to act professionally in a shorter, limited space of time, and also these communication skills. So a little bit more about the musical skills as well. And you mentioned earlier you had a student who played in string quartet, and there's a certain role, I think, assigned to a cellist in a string quartet. But in cello choir, there are so many different kinds of playing that you could be asked to do. For example, you could have the top violin melody line or the flute line, or you could have the double bass line or something like that. How do you approach this sort of versatility in cello choir playing? I like how you say cello choir and not cello ensemble, because I do feel that it's a choir. So for me, it's really first and foremost about finding your voice. We sing Bach chorales in our cello gang, just to find our voice. We switch voices all the time. But I find that the most enriching part for us is the fact that you're playing separate voices, but with same instruments. So we suggest to each other, I ask them, what do you think of this fingering? What do you think of doing it on this string? So even if you play the bass line, what do you think of doing it on the A string? And then we switch parts and also specifically for a commission piece or imitating a symphony, we would sit with a score and to analyze the score of what we play, because most pieces that cello choir plays um, are arrangements. I want them to understand that we're doing a symphony and what parts they're playing in it. The exact relation to it is to develop your imagination. So when you play a Brahms sonata, for instance, and I ask them, okay, this is a symphony by Brahms that we just found, and you're giving the premiere, and you're the Berlin Philharmonic. Who is starting it? You know, is it the viola section, the cello section? The, and just to have that kind of um, spontaneity and Im- imagination, cello gang really helps um, in doing that. Another thing is the way we sit. We sit half a circle. And I find it that when you sit in orchestra with other cellists, you're always behind or in front. So you don't really integrate with what I call mirror playing, where you can see the bow arm, you can see the fingers, you can see how people shift, how they breathe. So you become one. I always talk to them about having one sound coming out of the cello gang. And I find it to be more productive than when you play like a Mendelssohn string octet and you look at the violinist. It's a different kind of approach to an instrument. But cellist, when you sit and look and observe each other, you can become a mirror of each other. And that's really fun to see and to witness. Also, I have to say always, for me too, as a teacher, I'm not imposing my sitting on them. I've learned a lot. For instance, looking up, we hear a lot our teachers, they look up, look up, smile, whatever. But when you play with people that have more experience and they actually look up, they have eye contact to you and you smile when you accompany them on when they give you the melody. And all of those things are great and they happen in a quartet, they happen in a trio, but happening between fellow cellists is not always the case because you sit in those rows I have to agree there. I feel like in orchestra, I've learned a lot by observing the backs of people's heads, but there is so much to observe being face to face, as you say, you know, it's like raising an eyebrow or just like a little gesture towards someone. That's something that you can't do by yourself in the practice room. So it's just very nice to have that sense of camaraderie to bring everyone together. As a teacher, I have what I call the the four fundamentals, which is breathing, bouncing elbows and movement so we call it bbam that's our short so bbam is really big for me like like on every note that you play are you able to breathe freely to bounce your body not to be stiff 
to drop your elbows like you're eating and then to have body movement in accordance to the bow movement. So your body is active. All those four, usually when it's hard, we stop it. One of the four will not be there. So when we sit together, eight of us and play, you can feel BBAM all around <laughs> you and you can really see the benefits and what it does to you. So the beautiful thing is to see freshmen, people that are first year, and then to see seniors or master or DMA students that have been in the cello gang and just to see what it does to their solo playing you know even a little thing like go listen to the berlin philharmonic cello ensemble just get that sound get that warmth and juicy sound try to imitate it that already gives them something that unfortunately they don't do so much they go on youtube and they see the first showing and that's for them the best yeah, to really explore. That's really interesting. I'm going to try and integrate some BBAM into my playing in my gig tonight. I have a tattoo on my hand with BBAM. <laughs> it's a cello DNA, it's BBAM. Oh, I see. It's a, so it's a double helix. And okay, you can send us a picture of that later. <laughs> the cello DNA. I mean, I'm a little crazy about it. I really believe in it. When I play a concerto, if I'm nervous and we all get nervous, when I center myself into those four fundamentals, it really helps me to settle down and to continue the musical journey, really. Amit, thank you for sharing your thoughts on cello choir and cello collaborations today on the podcast. That's a lot of words beginning with C. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> that was Amit Pellet, and you're listening to the aforementioned arrangement of the Andante from Brahms' Symphony No. 3, played by Amit and the Mount Vernon Virtuosi Cello Gang. Don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.